Hey friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is your host, Michael Carey. And today I have a guest who I am I have been wanting to have on our podcast for quite a long time. And I'm just so pleased to have Eddie Caparucci. Eddie is an author, uh, PhD. He um, developed the inner child model for treating problematic sexual behavior. And uh, we were just talking before I hit record here and just so, so awesome. Uh, So many things that we have in common, so many things we agree on. I just told Eddie, I was like this, it's so refreshing just to jump on. And here we, we just resonate with so many things right away, deep, important things that I'm like, this is beautiful. And we've just talked for 10 minutes. So uh, Eddie, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show here. Well, Michael, thank you for having me. And and you're right. And, And for your audience, just to know the bond that we made in just 10 minutes, it just seems so powerful. <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's have lunch after this. Um, I like my, my, my brother from another mother. That's what we got. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yes, I, and, and I love what we were just talking about too, is um, the, you know, some of these terms, problematic sexual behavior, uh, unwanted sexual behavior, something that we talk about a lot in living truth and men in the battle and that. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, and, uh, actually on your book, I know it, um, when, when I go over to Amazon, uh, it talks about how the inner child impacts your sexual addiction. So some of these different terms, um, yeah, you want to go into what we were just talking about on that. Yeah. Why did you choose on this model problematic sexual behavior? Yeah, the, the inner child model for the treatment of sexual uh, problematic sexual behavior. You know, I do believe that, you know, there, it is a sex addiction, it is a pornography addiction, and it's an addiction because of the involvement of the neurochemicals in our brain that cause a strong craving. However, what's more important to me is how men feel about themselves and how they see themselves, because that is going to play a major part in their recovery and their continued sobriety. So therefore, for me, I use problematic sexual behavior because I'm trying to move away from the stigma of your sex addict. Now, I'm not going to say you're not an addict, that you don't have an addiction problem, because again, I think what we suffer from is an addictive brain. In fact, let me step back. We suffer from anxiety. And anyone who thinks that they are not anxious, who are struggling here, they're kidding themselves. They may have done a great job of suppressing and repressing that anxiety over the years, but it is there. And that anxiousness has led them to go and to seek distraction starting at a very young age to be able not to sit with their emotional pain. So after a while, continue doing the same behaviors over and over again, overindulging in food or television or video games, okay? And you start wind up having addictive behaviors. So with that, though, however, then, of course, comes the compulsive disorder. That's also part of it. That could continue to let us do things without really thinking it through. But more importantly than any of this is that label sex addict, 
which again, I don't think is accurate because again, I think what it is, is I'm an addict who has an addictive brain. But what I want men to, to really walk away with and to feel is what is their true identity? And our true identity, if we are Christians, our true identity is that we are the prince of the king. Mm-hmm. That should be the only label that we wear and we should wear no other label. Yes. I'm not saying be in denial of the fact that you have an addictive brain and that you have a compulsive disorder and it causes problems, havoc in your life. I'm not denying that at all. I'm not telling you to deny it. But I'm saying be true with the label that we give ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Prince of the King. That's it. That's it. The identity. I think uh, going all the way back to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, in the 20s, 30s, whenever it was, and they started saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic. uh, The idea is surrender, you know, to say that uh, I can't stop this on my own. This is a problem that, um, you know, I've tried and I need help. Uh, It I'm licked. This this has th- this problem has won, <laughs> and so I'm at the end of my rope. I mean that that concept I think is valuable too. But the idea that um, well we need help, we're at the end of our rope. God is sitting right there, you know, yeah, ready. Absolutely. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear, and that's the whole process of uh, you know. So guys that want to say that they're a sex addict, uh, I don't stop them or argue with them either but that's uh the the idea is what are you going to identify with because um there's some of the big pieces too of this problem is the shame that they feel about themselves and about their behavior and about their and and our our identity who we who we think we are who we think the world sees when they see us it's our perspective is so messed up isn't it it is. And I'll say this, that when you bring up the idea of shame, shame was a key driver in the development of the inner child model. Okay? Because when I started out, and, and just for people understand what the inner child model is, basically mm-hmm. what it does, it, to, it helps us to identify and answer the why question. Now, again, as clinicians, we're trained, don't ask why questions. Because why questions come across as, you know, being very accusatory. Why did you do this? And I am a big fan of the why question. Why do I think, feel, and act the way I do? And especially Mm -hmm. in this case, we're talking about why does sex have a stronghold on us? Because I believe that if I know the answer to why, I'm empowered. I have great power to be able to make significant changes. I'm sure, Michael, you've heard from many men over the years uh, them saying, "What you ask them, so tell me what what do you think has got you caught up in all this?" I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I have no clue. I get, I'm just a pervert. I'm uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm sick. You know, mm-hmm. and you get all the litany of different answers, and they're all inaccurate. Uh, but yet the, the inner child pro- program uh, model came from the idea of part of it was from shame because what I originally 
created, and there's nine children, soon to be two more adopted kids I'm going to have. So we're going to be mm -hmm. up to 11 kids now. I can never get an even number. I don't know what it is. But anyway, <laughs> but we're going to, we have nine kids right now. And mm -hmm. what those nine kids were at the beginning were the nine reasons why men abuse sex. For mm -hmm. example, um, need for affirmation, boredom, uh, being unnoticed, emotionally avoided, need for control. Those are some. And then what I did was I thought about it just based on what you were just saying before. What is one of the biggest issues that or the hindrance that keep men from being sober? Shame. It's shame. So what can I do about the shame? And I, I took this idea from somebody that wrote a book about 25 years ago. I can't remember the author's name, but what he did was he externalized the addict. You are no longer the addict. The addict is out here. And what he did, he had people talking to their addict on a mm -hmm. regular basis. And, you know, we're not going to do this. And he'd argue, they would argue with the addict. And in fact, he, his, some of his techniques were really bizarre. He would tell you, go take, go, go to a men's, um, go to adult bookstore and talk to your addict in there. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. Going way too uh, far for me. Say okay? maybe stay away from going into that yeah, store altogether. So. Be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I decided to do was, you know what? Let me externalize the nine reasons. And the way I did it was, I created the nine inner children. So that was part when you brought up shame that just kind of triggered that thought in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, isn't that so interesting, though, that we can ask the same question in two different ways, and one sounds like a judgment, and the other one is is really inquisitive. Why did you do that? You know, the tone of my voice, the look of my face, all the things that that communicates. And then the other question is, well, why do you think you did that? Why is a, is a powerful question, if we look at it the right way, we want to understand the root cause. Mm -hmm. And I actually like it when guys yeah. say, when, when I ask them, so, yeah, why do you think that you did this? And when they're, when, when they say, you know, I don't know, I, I say, you're, that's actually where you need to be, you know? So when you say, I don't know, when, you, when I think that I have all the answers, then, <laughs> then uh, I'm dealing with um, someone who maybe isn't ready and they're trying to figure it out on their own still. But um, why I want to keep asking myself that question why but yeah. not just problematic sexual behavior you know why do i carry resentment why do i uh whatever it is you yeah. you obviously have read the book and you're way ahead in everything because it is <laughs> that why do i have anger issues why do i withdraw time what it's to understand everything the, the way i begin working with eddie eddie man with this is we are on a journey we are on a journey for self-reflection. And you are going to learn things about yourself that you never knew. You think you know yourself so well, I'm telling you, you're going to be blown away as you continue to dig deeper, go deeper. And that's where the whole thing about the book, going deeper is about. Yeah. We're going to continue to dig until we get answers 
that give us a better understanding of how did I get hardwired the way I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so important. Yes, this work. So you, um, you, I, I know you mentioned this and uh, we, we talked before we jumped in and, and started recording the um, revision. So the, so the book was written uh, with nine, you identified nine areas or nine, nine children in this case is um, uh, and, and then you added a couple more. Can you name some of them or all of them? Who, yeah, who is I'll, this inner I'll child? I'll name all of them. And, and the thing to note here as I go through them is you'll see they all deal with a emotional pain point of some kind, okay? So the bored child, the unaffirmed child, the emotionally voided child, that's a child who doesn't really have, um, doesn't really know how to emotionally bond with others unnoticed child, the need for control child, need for control child, they were raised in a very hectic and chaotic environment. And so the, they developed this worldview that if I can control and manage things that are going on in my life, I can prevent bad things from happening, which of course is totally, totally erroneous. The entitled slash fightful child, the entitled child, um, it's not what you think it is. It's not the kid who thinks, oh, I, I just, just deserve things because I'm special. He deserves things because he's angry. And the reason he's angry is because he was felt, he was made to feel as though he was devalued as a child and a teenager. He didn't have a voice. Uh, his desires, his needs didn't matter. He was often very falsely accused. So therefore, he uses this, uh, whatever it may have been, it might have been something like, you know, food at one point when he was younger, but now later sex, he uses uses it as a a reward. I deserve this because I've been screwed over time and time again. Yeah, and being spiteful, is it uh, maybe retaliation too sometimes? Or is that a different child? (laughs) No, 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 he retaliates. He retaliates. He's very passive aggressive. Extremely mm-hmm. passive aggressive individual. The weak inferior child, uh, they were made to feel different by people. And they were probably bullied a great deal. Um, they really didn't feel that they had much in the way of any kind of um, power at all. And so that for, therefore, they just feel very inferior to others. The stressed child, I don't need to give any explanation about that. We also have, this is the only one that has anything to do with sex. This is the early sexually stimulated, which means that they came across porn at a young age, or perhaps they saw people, maybe parents or an old, older sibling, um, engaging in some kind of sex, or they were sexually abused, right? Those are it. So those are the nine that we have. And as you can see, they all deal with uh, childhood pain points. And as I say, I go, I believe recovery goes through our childhood because what we need to do is identify what are those childhood pain points that are still haunting us today. We're still being troubled by them by the negative event that happened, 
And when these negative events happen, our inner child reaches into his storage unit and he pulls out something, pulls out a memory that he thinks matches what just happened. And in many cases, it really doesn't. But what it does, it increases our anxiety level. And again, we're just thinking whatever the event is that just happened, that's why I'm getting more and more upset. That's not the reason. The reason is the kid subconsciously is bringing in other things from the past that is making it, that's making you feel more anxious and agitated. And what happens is because we can't sit with emotional pain, that's one of our problems, probably the biggest problem we have, you know, in dealing with this, because we can't sit with this, we, we run away. We find something to distract ourselves. We found mm, sex. Yeah. So to answer your question, though, the two new children is, are the Amesh child, which I don't know how I missed mm. that kid in the first place. I apologize to him. I'm very sorry. <laughs> but, but yes, the Amesh child, again, this is a kid who just feels like, you know, I everything I have to do is because of what somebody else needs or desires. I have nothing on my own. I don't, my feelings are not mine. And the other one is the spiritually wounded child. Mm. Um, the child who yes. grew up in a home, perhaps that was very rigid in its religious rules. Uh, again, feeling that they didn't have a life. Their life had to be developed and centered upon whatever the religious obligations were of that family. And then there's also a component that happened outside of the home for this child who could be wounded in the in a church or synagogue or, or a mosque where they are being given direction and guidance that is just too overwhelming for them and that they just can't handle. And therefore they become extremely guilt-ridden feeling that I can't match up to what I'm being asked to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I've, I've heard stories and seen that too, where um, scripture has been used to control people and it's twisted and taken out of proportion, out of context or whatever. And, um, but wow. I, you know what I was thinking when you were talking about the two new ones, I think, Interestingly, the the revision of this book and adding it kind of represents just this idea that there's more. There's this, you know, we're all on this growth, this the, the, this this pattern, this process, this um, journey, right, of growth, and we learn more about ourselves, and we understand, oh wow, there, you know, there's more. There's uncharted territory, and yeah, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you found a couple more in, in well, a few years or whatever. You know, who knows? When the book came out, that was one of the big questions I got most often was, "Are you sure there's only nine? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. I go, these are the ones I've identified. Right. Are there yeah. more? If there are, okay, mm -hmm. I will I will find them as I continue doing work with people um, mm -hmm. along the way. So, yeah, you know, now we're at 11. Will there mm -hmm. become a dozen? Will there become 14? Uh, who knows? 
I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I, I did open up my mind to the idea that, you know, there are, there probably, as you said, there's more. Because again, the, as we continue to, to drill down, hopefully, hopefully that's what we're doing. Hopefully we're doing that self-reflection that we need to do. Because again, the idea that, you know, being sober is not enough. We need mm-hmm. a transformation of the heart. And the yes. only way that transfer, transformation of a heart happens <clears throat> is if I am constantly looking to uh, evolve. Mm-hmm. I need to evolve. You brought up the word surrender before. And I, I'm of the belief that surrender is not one and done. You know, I'm still surrendering pieces of me that I yeah. you didn't realize I had to surrender. Right. So that that should be our our hunt right now you mm-hmm. know really understand ourselves as well as we can yeah yes full surrender um is uh, a process for sure piece by piece um sometimes big chunks but uh complete surrender uh, yes that is um definitely a process but um, no, and I and I love the ones that you that you mentioned. This is this work is is so important. All of these. Um, so when you know when you talk about nine and then uh, adding eleven, I mean adding a couple more, so a total of eleven. The um, as you were mentioning these, uh, how many combinations of these have you found? Does someone struggle with all eleven? Is it four? Have you mm-hmm. seen what combination have you seen? Is it just one yeah. at a time? What the the what the average number of children that someone uh, correlates with is usually between four and six. Um, there were there have been people who've had all nine that I've worked with. I would imagine that when these other two kids come out, there'll be people who have all eleven. But what's really important, Michael, to understand, it's not the children that they ultimately select. Each child has what I call core emotional triggers. Again, the, the thing is in there is emotional. These aren't visual triggers. These are emotional triggers. This is what we're talking about here. We're talking about the emotional pain that you want to run away from. And, and this, you know, one of the interesting things is, and as I told you, we have two new books that are be coming out. One book is the inner child, how the inner child impacts addiction, period. I am um, collaborating with a gentleman who is the director of um, the London Center for Addiction Treatment. And he and his Mm. staff, they put together, they collected all this data of using the inner child model with all various types of addiction, alcohol, drugs, food, gambling, spending. So that work is being developed, it's gonna be published by Rutledge Publishing and it'll be out in September, October. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's another book, we have Going Deeper for Women, How Mm. the Inner Child Impacts Your Love and Porn Addiction. That is becoming such a major problem. Mm. Yes, with watching the numbers continue to grow of women who are struggling in this area. And in fact, that that was another thing that happened right out of the gate 
when the uh, inner child book came out, they're like, where's the book for women? How come there's nothing in here for women? And I go, well, cause I only work with men. I don't, I don't right. have that. I don't have that data. I don't have that information. So I'm actually uh, collaborating with two female clinicians who work in that segment to, to do that. But to go back to your question again, um, it doesn't matter how many kids we pick. What's most important are the core emotional triggers that impact that kid. So let's say you wind up with five children, all right? And from that list of five children, you pick maybe three core emotional triggers for each. So, and core emotional triggers could be like, I feel invisible, I'm a failure, I've been dismissed, I'm unworthy of love, I'm a disappointment. It goes, there are hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. So we have the 15 core emotional triggers. These are the things you run away from. An event happens, one of these, you know, comes, you know, becomes active, and you don't want to sit with this level of distress. And again, you may not even be very aware of what that core emotional trigger is. It's there, but you're not very aware of it. And therefore, you just want to run. So it is identifying those triggers that is the most critical part of it. For me, I would like each client just to have one inner child. <laughs> one inner child that's made up of all the different core emotional triggers. Um, mm. And that's where most people go, you know, but there are some who say, no, 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 I want to keep all my kids because I want to know which kid is activated. And I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, if that's what you want to do, go for it. That's fine. I'm just trying to make it a little bit more easier. The fact that you have one kid and you these are the emotional, the core emotional triggers that activate that kid. And again, when we talk about activate, what happens is that he brings that event, that memory into the equation subconsciously. And what it does, it causes your anxiety level to continue to rise. And mm -hmm. can't sit with that pain. So what do we do? We run away from it. Yeah. Right. So the way that our, our heart resonates and unconsciously brings this up, kind of like if I say beach, you think of childhood vacation and whatever it, whatever it is that you might have experienced, you know, when you were 10, uh, the memories start to come up, right? Like this collage in our of photos and, and memories. And so it and and it's so unconscious that uh we have no idea right we think that all of the all of what we're feeling is from right now from this moment and this experience exactly. and what's happening right yes that's exactly right and that's let me give you i'll give a quick example okay let's say uh you have this really good friend and you guys have had a falling out and one day you come across each other on the street and you start talking and one of you says, hey, maybe we should get together just to see if we can work this out. And the other one says, yeah, great. You schedule lunch. The day of lunch comes, he calls. Hey, look, something came up. I can't make it. I'll try to call you back. And hangs up. I mean, that's it. It's less than 10 seconds. And you're sitting there and you're like, what the heck? I, that was rude. And I, you know what? I feel like in a way, maybe I got blown off. You know, a baby doesn't even want to get together anymore. All these thoughts are running through your head, right? 
you hang up the phone, you're sitting there, you're going through this. Well, your kid reaches into his storage unit and he pulls out in a bed when you were about nine years old and you went down the street to Bobby's house, your friend Bobby. You want to see if he wanted if he could come out and knock on the door and Bobby opens the door and there you see Bobby with three of your friends sitting there. And you're like, what are you guys doing? Nothing, just hanging out. How come nobody called me? Well, no, we didn't think about it. Like, well, can I come in? And Bobby goes, no, my mom said I can't have anybody else in. It slams the door in your face. You start walking away. You're feeling, you got tears running down your face, perhaps. You're, you're upset. You're wondering, why doesn't anybody ever call me? Why do I always have to chase them? You know, and, and I, I feel like I, I'm just forgotten. I'm invisible, right? Well, that subconscious memory that you might, that you're probably not thinking of, if let's say after the uh, phone call, your anxiety level went from like a one, because I always think people always have some anxiety, from a one to maybe a three. Okay, let's say one to a three. Well, this kid bringing in this other memory, all right, which again, you're not aware of it, but your, your anxiety level slowly just continues to increase. And you can feel, you know, again, the tension. Maybe you can't focus very well. Maybe you just kind of want to get up and, and walk around. Maybe maybe you're getting angry, maybe, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe fantasies start to put come into your head. Because again, here it is, your anxiety level now may be a seven. We can't sit with emotional pain. Okay. Nobody ever taught us how to sit with emotional discomfort. So what do we do? We do what we learned with the coping mechanism we discovered as a child. I won't think about it. I won't think about it. And that's when he ate did too much food, too much television, too much play, too much fantasy. And now as an adult, you have the same MO. You know what? I, I, I where's my phone? Where's my phone? You know, or whatever. And boom, you're off and you're running. And then when you're done and you come back and you're like, why the heck did I do that? <laughs> why did I do that? Yeah, you know, I didn't have to do that. And, but it's all because, again, we don't know the answer to why. Why were you thinking what you were thinking? Why were you feeling what you were thinking? Why did you run off? And if you understand that you have an inner child who sit with all of this emotional baggage and pain from your youth, that if you understand that your inner child brings that garbage into your world and you're not aware of it and causes your anxiety level to increase, which then can, can, can cause your compulsive behaviors to increase, if you knew all of that, you'd probably be able to deal with it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we deal with it? What, um, let's say we see this happening in our life, you know, is, is it possible to intercept this before it happens? What do we do after we see it? We were talking yeah. about seeing this behavior in the rear of your mirror, you know, what, what can we do about it? Right. Well, one thing we're going to do is we're going to learn to become more mindful. 
especially of the negative event that happened in our lives. Once I understand, okay, these are my core emotional triggers. I have like eight or nine of them. This is what's going to set me off, including maybe feeling dismissed. Something happens and I look at that event and instead of just, oh, who cares? Or, you know, I'm just angry about it. Instead, well, wait a second. What do I really feel here right now? What am I feeling about what just happened to me? All right, let's go back to my example again, right? I sit for a moment now because I need to slow everything down, Michael. That is probably one of the biggest keys because we don't. We have our head down and we're running through life. The slow thing down, okay? All right, got the phone call. Hang up. I feel my anxiety increasing. Wait, stop, stop. Slow down. Okay. We start off with, what do I feel? This is where I'm going to start. What do I feel? I feel dismissed. I do feel angry. I, I feel like I was blown off. I, I feel like he doesn't want to be, to get our, to bring our friendship back together. So I feel like he kind of led me on. He was just, you know, throwing that out there and now he's you know really saying what he wants right that's what i feel i feel all of this what i'm what am i doing here i'm doing something that we don't normally do i'm sitting with emotional pain so two things already one slow everything down two sit with the emotional pain which we don't like to do but see i understand when i sit with this it's not going to kill me it's not going to kill me. And the more I sit with my emotional discomfort, the better I get at it and the less of a stronghold it has on me. So now I sit here and I got this pain and a lot of the pain is your inner child and the pain points of the past. That's what a large majority of this is. Okay. Now I'm going to continue to slow everything down. How am I going to do that? I'm going to move away from how I feel and I'm going to go to what is real. Now, the adult is in the room. Okay, here, the child was in the room. Was in the room. The child's ready to run the show and have you run, run off. Now, what is real? Well, yeah, what he did was rather rude. I mean, he could have given me, you know, at least a a chance to say one or two things. But I think he might have said that you're going to call me back. You know what I did and I think about this? I'm not sure I have enough information to make the, or jump to the conclusion that he doesn't want to get together and be friends any longer. Okay, see, I'm still slowing everything down. Now I'm going to slow it down even more, okay? So now we have slow everything down, sit with your emotional pain, and now I move over to rational thinking. So I've gone from how I feel to what is real, okay? That's number three. And then finally, now I come to the fourth part, which is make the healthy decision. <sighs> what am I going to do? You know what? I'm going to give them a couple of days and let's see if he called me back. 
And if he does, great. If he doesn't, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call him. And I'm going to say, hey, do you, do you still want to get together and have lunch? If he says yes, we're on. If not, then you know what? Maybe I'll just say to him, hey, are we jumping too soon here? Do you need more time to make a decision? If you do, fine, do that. I calm down. Now, see, as I slow everything down, what's happening, remember, my anxiety level went from like a three to a seven or an eight. As I'm slowing everything down, my anxiety level is coming back down. And when that comes back down, less likely that my addictive brain going to get kicked in because I'm not going to probably jump to compulsive behaviors. That is basically the inner child model. Mm -hmm. We're just teaching people to do things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, Eddie, I love this. Uh, your work is, is extremely important. And I think um, throughout the process of, of that, um, because of these past events, we probably, um, we, it, it seems to, um, stop us from being able to think the best about other people then is what you're saying, right? Because we think the worst, because the worst may have happened to us when we were a child, when we were growing up. And so we assume the worst we, we assume, and in your case, maybe this guy, his, his kid was bleeding and needed to go to the hospital, you know, so hang up, like can't get, I mean, um, then, exactly. then you might wonder like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe you actually took the time to call me instead of standing me up and I'm, you know, I would go and not, you wouldn't be there. You, you, we have no idea what's going on in someone else's world, right? Mm -hmm. In these moments, we, we can only see, um, ourselves. Well, but see that again, if you look at people who are caught up in addiction, they are very inwardly focused. Okay, again, this is part of the of the second uh, the next of the book of why men struggle to love. And I identified 14 blind spots that keep men from being able to um, form healthy bonds and connection. And one of them is just that we're inwardly focused. Remember what I said before? We run through life with our head down. We need to, as we go through this process, because as I said before, it, being sober is not enough. We have to look to change everything, everything. And part of that change is I need to become outwardly focused, like you just said. Oh, I wonder what his emergency was. See, instead, what did he do? He jumped right to, it's about him, right? It's about, it's about me. It's like, oh, you know, why is he doing this? How come he's treating me this way? Versus looking outward to say, wow, I wonder if everything's good. And maybe I'll make sure I send up a text saying, hey, I'm praying for you, whatever, if anything's happening. We're, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. Because again, we go back to the idea also, we look at people who are locked in addiction. I believe nine out of 10 are emotionally undeveloped. We don't have mm -hmm. the skill set that we need to be mature people. Right. Dead. We, we we act like kids. Yeah. We act like kids. 
and we weren't trained we weren't taught it wasn't modeled to us because our parents didn't know how to do it either because that's, that's exactly uh, right just generational stuff thank you to uh johnson and johnson company or um whoever it was whatever whatever company it was that developed the q-tip that we can clean out our ears with because mm -hmm. uh that uh, someone has turned that into this acronym, quit taking it personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, we go back to scripture and say, remove the log from your eye so that you can better see what's going on versus trying to figure out, oh, what's wrong with them? Why are they a problem? How come they're not cooperating? Why don't they give me what I need? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you have to look inward first. And this is a big problem we have with men when it comes to dealing with their betrayed spouse, okay, which is a totally different subject and probably another show it could be. But the whole idea is, again, they are so focused on their own discomfort and pain at the moment when she's grieving. And what they do is they see hostility and what they're not seeing is pain. They're not seeing the pain. Mm -hmm. and that create problems well yeah we talked a little bit about shame and uh that certainly is going to trigger the shame because if they're the ones that caused their wife to be in that pain you know then it's back to that inward focus on themselves and it's difficult to move into right. focusing on their spouse and once again what that is that's your inner child your inner child comes in. Why is she being so mean to us? Why is she treating us this way? You know, she shouldn't be yelling at us. It's like not recognizing, wait a second, you messed up. So one of the rules I have of my 10 rules of, of engaging with your grieving spouse is your inner child never talks to your spouse. Never mm. talk to your spouse. And if you can if you could just master that rule, oh my gosh, you'd be in a much better place when it comes to learning how to help her heal. Mm-hmm. Because it's the adult that can, I mean, if you're if you're talking about something that's not necessarily related to that betrayal trauma and that um when you're talking to your spouse about your feelings the way you feel about how you know whatever event it was that happened to you that's the adult then speaking right yeah talking about the feelings the child is maybe is the child incapable of speaking to the feelings then right well the, the child incapable of speaking to logic okay the child mm. lives with nothing but emotions raw raw emotions and not well thought out so therefore and what the child's looking for more than anything else is an adult who's going to be able to say hey don't worry about how to handle this i'll handle it because the child most likely didn't have somebody who was there to do that for them he had to handle everything on his own. Or at least maybe thought he had to handle everything on his own. So then he's not even bringing his problem to his parents. He's keeping them in because he's afraid that if I do bring them to, if I do bring my problems to them, they're going to dismiss or belittle me or they don't have time. So you know what? I'll just do it myself. But Again, he doesn't have a lot of worldly experiences. He's more emotionally driven in his thinking than he is 
rash, uh, uh, cognitively, look at it, as I said before, he comes up with one solution. I won't mm -hmm. think about it. And in order to do that, he has to learn to distract himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know um, some people might think of uh, all of the 11 children here of um, multiple personalities or something. That's not what it is either, right? I think no. of, um, I, me I immediately go to Isaiah 61, you know, where uh, the prophet Isaiah, of course, was talking about Jesus and his ministry of uh, the sovereign Lord has uh, brought me to, uh, anointed me to um, share the good news. But the next line is to heal the shattered heart. And I think of these shattered, uh, shattered heart in pieces these are maybe uh, maybe can represent those pieces, if you will, for those that really would like a biblical example. Yeah, I mean, you are you are exactly right. I mean, they are pieces, and it's really funny. After I wrote the book, and uh, I gave it to my wife to read first, and the one thing she said to me, she goes, "You know what? This is a lot like this is a lot like internal family systems," and I'm like. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, you're right. It is. You know, all the different pieces that we have, protector, yeah. you know, things like that. And I'm like, no, but I go, but but it's also very different because and, and I think what the way you put it, shattered, the shattered lives. All of these kids led shattered lives. Doesn't mean they went through horrific traumas. Okay. But maybe they went through some neglect. And I'm not talking about the neglect of the, somebody not feeding them or clothing them or anything like that. But the neglect of they're not there emotionally. And it goes back to what you said before, parents, who, good people who don't have the skill set. Generational. If a generational problem and what we're looking to do right now is to break that generational problem. And so with these kids, it becomes the idea you're not, kids not going away. And you're also not going to nurture the kid to a point where he doesn't feel the pain point. He will always feel the pain point. This is about learning how to manage the child and manage your addiction. And that's what we're, that's what all of that's about. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, I'd love to wrap up just by asking you for some resources where, I mean, certainly uh, Amazon or wherever people buy books these days, they can get a copy of the several books that you've written and the books that are coming out here in September this year, 2023. Um, what other resources do you offer? There is, um, for those people who really can't afford counseling, I put together an online program. It's a 12-part program. Uh, it's available at innerchild-sexaddiction.com. Again, innerchild-sexaddiction.com. And as I said, 12 weeks. I priced it extremely reasonable. It costs less than what it would be for two and a half sessions. Um, and they, and what I do is I walk them through, it's a video series and I just walk them through the whole process of what it's about. Hopefully they can be in a support group and have an accountability partner who can 
help them to deal with that, go deeper with it. The other thing I have is for clinicians, I have a training program because when this book came out, Michael, I mean, it just, uh, everything just went crazy. Um, I could not believe the way the phone rang off the hook, the email, and everybody wanted therapy. They want to do the inner child work when it came to their sex addiction. So, and I, I don't know how to clone myself. I still haven't figured that out. So what <laughs> I've done, what I did was I put together a training program for clinicians. Hmm. Again, reasonably priced. It's less than $200 because I'm not looking to make money on it. I'm looking to train people in this. And we have about 35 clinicians that have been trained thus far, including people over um, in Singapore, and I believe it's in France. So we have the international presence there also in the UK. Um, if people are interested in that, if they can email me directly at edcappa, E-D-C-A-P-P-A at gmail.com. And as you mentioned, all the books are available on Amazon, there's three of them there now, and there'll be two more coming in September. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, this is gonna be a huge help for so many people out there. Everyone, everyone needs to know about this and hear this, so thank you so much. Well, Appreciate you being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your ministry of being your wife, you know, Ron, for all the work you do to help so many other people. You're a godsend, you're a blessing. I hope that you know, the Lord continues to bring blessings upon you. Mm. Thanks for saying that.